Hey everyone, it's Kristen and Sam. Welcome to Attached to the Core, the podcast where we talk about life and how everything can be connected to our earliest attachments. We're so glad you're here. Let's get started to see what today's conversation can mean for all of us. Welcome back. I feel like that's necessary. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Life has been happening. Um, lots of life. Uh, Kelly is here today. Hi, Hi Kelly. <laughs> uh, Sam and Kelly know through other people. They just yeah. figured it out. And I've known Kelly for quite some time now. Yes. We used to go to country concerts together all the we time. We did. That yeah, was like get fun. drunk in bathrooms and stuff. <laughs> yeah, We had a all good the time. time with that. I have a really good picture of one of those concerts. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I have one specific in mind uh-huh. that like we're in a bathroom There's in a like a mirror. Probably like we saw Randy Rogers like 75 times. It was times one of the and, um, oh, okay. like festivals. Remember it had like the two stages in the, in the parking lot? Yeah. And just like went back and forth. Yeah. And you just like drink I never got into that. Like I remember a lot of people like Texas Country, like some of those people. Yeah, that's like, it was all Texas Country. No, I knew nothing about them. She actually like, pretty much got me into Texas Country, honestly. Okay. And like a boyfriend that I was with at the time. And then it kind of just like transitioned in. And that's what we did all the yeah. time. Yeah. Like all wow. the time. Billy Bob's like It was like weekend. the thing, the one accessible thing you could do before you were 21. And then also after you were 21. So I feel like that's why. Uh, I Because yeah. you could go to anywhere in the stock It's like 18 and up. Yeah, just like hide out on your uh-huh. boots or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just go to the car a lot. <laughs> Yeah, take breaks. Yeah. These are tricks of the trade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to not, That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to not tell your children. Oh, They'll man. figure it out uh, anyways. Yeah, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So Kelly is a child life specialist. Do you want to tell us what yeah. that is and what that entails? Yeah. So most child life specialists work in hospital settings. So um, pediatric hospitals primarily. Um, so our main job is to take difficult medical information or difficult information in general and kind of translate it to whatever age level the child is in. So in the pediatric hospitals, um, they're supportive in that way, like talking about diagnoses, sibling support, um, but also doing like distraction from procedures, minimizing medication administration, lots of things um, in child in the children's hospitals. My experience has been primarily in grief and bereavement. So I worked for seven years for a hospice agency that um, had pediatric hospice and adult hospice, and so I worked with all of those families. And then this past year, I just got hired in, um, at an adult hospital, and so I'm within the palliative care department there, and they also have a NICU. So I support really any children that are impacted by an adult's hospitalization or diagnosis or death. And then I also support the NICU for the siblings. Um, but most child specialists are found in pediatric hospitals, but we're kind of branching out to other places. Wow. And it's a pretty like new field. like. The 60s is really kind of when it started, and then it's really kind of grown a lot, especially in this area. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't know if, like, I guess personally it's probably because, like, grief is just so, like, final, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so much, like, stuff to go with that where, like, to be, like, a therapist and also be, like, a grief specialist would just be, like, a lot because that's, yeah. like, different kinds of stuff to tackle. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I would ask, like, what do you think the goal is? Cause like I have like this my own thought right now that's going on. Like mm-hmm. as you're explaining what what their like what the their job or their process uh-huh. is, but like for you, like what is your goal for the child, short term and then long term? Yeah, yeah. So I would say most of the time it's 
um, to establish healthy coping mechanisms okay. or to empower them to feel confident in whatever they're going through. Right. So like with the pediatric patients, it's a lot of empowerment and um, normalizing situations and helping them feel confident. And then with the adults more, it's like providing them the guidance to support the children. So overall, I feel like just to make it a more understanding and manageable experience, um, but that kind of varies. And most of my child life experience is in grief and bereavement because I right. do hospice and I also have a grief counseling certification. So that's, that's a niche of the child life world that I've really focused into. Um, so for grief, it's really just coping mechanisms. I feel like it's the biggest thing. Yeah. And giving them space to share and right. talk, yeah. Yeah. Because my, my thing, like, kind of taking what you said about how it's so final, it's just, like, this full stop. I think there's a lot of trauma, like, as a kid, especially mm-hmm. if it's someone directly related to you, yeah. that in that moment, you know, the parents are dealing with so much. Like, when do you have time to explain this to a kid on their level about what's going on in their lives? And, then and to, think, like, say the right things. Yeah, yeah. because you don't want to, you don't want to, like, bombard them with, like, this really, these I mean, for lack of a better, like gross information that's coming mm-hmm. towards them because they don't know how to process mm-hmm. any of that right. right now. And it's just that their sibling or mom or dad or somebody's gone and then they're just kind of left trying to pick up the pieces by themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. where I come in and like help. So a lot of times I'll tell parents like, here's what I want to talk to them about. Here's how I would do this. You know, and I get um, approval, I guess, or permission from them to do that. But they always are so relieved because they're not having to relay that information. Like, I include them, but a lot of times you're right. They're so stressed out, too. They can't even think, like, about their own situations to then let alone support their children. Mm-hmm. And so I think my role brings a lot of comfort to the families that are just, like, in this heightened state of all the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just so much. Like, I mean, that's why I was so interested is just, being having gone through it so many times this past year and, and watching people go through it and I'm just like what is this person going to do when this is all done mm-hmm. because right now everybody's there but then where do they go after that in that moment you see all these people around this person and they want to be involved and they want to be there but then when the dust settles and and kind of the the all of like all everything goes away and then that person's still left by themselves yeah well, and it's I, just go ahead sorry go ahead go ahead no i just said for some reason when you just said that too that reminded me of like childbirth mm-hmm. <laughs> like when like everything's so like hyped up and everyone's there and everybody oh, wants yeah. to help and everyone wants to come see the baby and then like okay figure you're it out yeah yeah. Uh-huh. yeah like yeah. when they're waking up and crying like all those people that <laughs> came to your baby shower they're not going to be there to help you figure uh-huh. it out either yeah. mm-hmm. and it is it's like these really big life events or, you know, chapters in our lives that people show up for. But then when kind of the nuance of that is gone, they're gone too. You know what I mean? And it's like, then you're left to figure it out on your own. And I think it's, I mean, just super important for people like you to be there in yeah. those situations. Because not only like just dealing with grief over the years, but I have a niece that's been dealing with leukemia since mm-hmm. she was like in seventh grade. Oh, wow. And she's like, in, um, I mean, she should be starting uh, college as a freshman this coming uh, fall. But like it's constant. Like they're in Philadelphia right now, like doing treatment. Like it's like mm-hmm. brand new, never really been done before. They had to go to Philadelphia to get the treatment. Yeah. And so my niece, I feel like she hasn't processed out of that seventh grade brain sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like she's trying to figure it all out. She's bombarded all the time with new stuff and new treatment and new doctors and now a new city. Yeah. And it's like, how do you deal with this? Like how how do you go about 
like, hey, I understand what's going on here, but like, what's your process? To working with those mm-hmm. type of families. Yeah, I think one thing that's always important to know is when it's a child who's been diagnosed and has had something for like a long time, I feel like it's so deceiving because they seem so mature because they're around adults mm-hmm. like so much, but like emotionally, they're still whatever age they were. Um, but a lot of times I just try to build rapport with them and get to know them. Like, what do you know? What do you want to know? What are you confused about? Um, and then sometimes it's just spending time with them. Like at the hospital I'm at currently, we open a new surgery center. So we've been getting a lot of teenagers, which is a new population for me kind of. Um, but they're, they're coming fun. in. Yeah. They're coming <laughs> in with like over summer, it was like ATV accidents, like all these broken bones and cracks, all these things. Um, and so it wasn't really doing any education for them. It was just right. like being there for them. And like, I think that's what these kids miss is they, they don't have a point person. The parents are talking to everybody. The family is talking to the parents and that kid is there, but kind of mixed in the shuffle, even though all those conversations are focused on that kid, yeah, they're not really reflecting it to the kid. So I, that's a big piece of where I think child life specialists can help and the counselors in the hospital and all of that, because it's focused more on like the child's needs right it's so important i think we i mean we all everybody does that like in Mm -hmm. every aspect of life of just like we talked about that last time of just like oh like they'll be okay or don't tell them too much or they're resilient whatever or even in the case of like teenagers and broken bones like are they healing okay okay cool but it's not like how bummed out are you that you're not going to be able to get to do this thing your whole identity is different and no one's recognizing it yeah Yeah. kind of goes back to your um you posted not too long ago but that like children are marginalized uh, groups of the population, mm-hmm. which I didn't necessarily agree with at the time, but the way that we're explaining it right now, I'm like, yeah, they probably <laughs> are so. in these situations, <laughs> like these yeah, very yeah. specific situations, because we are talking over their head a lot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're like, you know, they're there, they need to, they, they don't understand it, so we just feel like whatever. But they're the ones actually going through all these things that we're communicating with. Even if you just go to a parent-teacher conference, yeah, exactly. like the kid sits there, you and the teacher have a conversation. It's like, it's their grades. It's, yeah. They're yeah. the ones that are in the middle of this. Like, why aren't I don't we communicating think, this to them? I don't think our society allows children to have a voice, like, in all aspects. And yeah. so that's a big piece of, like... That was that was the whole point of her, her post. And so I went and looked up the definition of marginalized people. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to get down to, like, the bottom of this. And this is just, like, me in my own head, like, yeah. scrolling through and looking at yourself. And I'm just like, why is, like, how and when? And then I started to think. I was like, is it really about the child being marginalized or is it more about like the parents misinformation to the child that mm. makes them marginalized because I think there are children who have parents that do include them sure. who treat them as an equal and and when I mean equal I mean considering their age you know yeah. what I mean yeah um and all, all of that you know that that encompasses and they're like they're able to be their own person um and they feel like they have a seat at the table. But even if it's not their parents, like, and this is like my other, like, I don't want to get too off topic, but even if it's not their parents, like, we still send them to school, tell them exactly how many years to be in school, to right. exactly what to learn, tell them what they need to learn, tell them, like, don't get up, where's your hand to use the bathroom? Like, all these things are examples of us just, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. And then so we're mad just... that they can't hold a job. Yeah. yeah. Or, or <laughs> speak yeah. up for themselves yeah. or go to their uh-huh. boss when they need a raise or, or like yeah. all these kinds of things. It's just That's like true. you've been telling them for 12 plus years to not do Frightened that. or, or mm-hmm. freaked out in, yeah. in treatment, you know, because my niece has had those moments where she's had conversations with my sister and she's just like, I don't want to keep doing this. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is a waste of time. I've been dealing with this forever. You know, she has this 18 thing about to happen or she is 18 now. And, um, 
my sister's like, I can't really stop her anymore. Like, basically, the hospital told my sister, if she doesn't want to show up, we can't force her. No, yeah. And and this is where we're, like, at this crossroads, and she's so strong. Like, I don't think I could have gone through what she's gone through. I told my older niece, I was like, I don't think you would have been able to go through what Lauren's <laughs> gone through. But it is. It's like you're saying, like, I think she still operates from from when she found out. And because she's been stuck in this space for so long, yeah. she's just still that person, that same little kid who... It all started with her arm hurting. Like, that's how we found out she had leukemia. Like, she kept so complaining crazy. about an arm. And I remember getting onto her. And I was like, you're doing this shit for attention. I was like, your mom's going... My, my sister had, like, cervical cancer at the time. And so, I mean, and that was different. It was like, they had to do cervix or cervical cervical okay cervix yeah they're connected cervical cancer is in your cervix you'll learn a lot yeah pretty soon here yeah so then all you know and i kind of got onto her but then it was like a week later she's still complaining about the same thing and then like you said i remember the day we go into the hospital lauren's in the bed and my sister's like telling us all this stuff but we're not talking with lauren about it yeah so like how should you as a family if you want to include, like for someone listening who may be going through it, if they want to include that person who's going through that or that young person that's going through that, how do you bring that to the table? I think it's important to have some conversations outside of the children, but I think it's always important to include them at a developmentally appropriate way. So like I, when I worked in hospice, I had an eight-year-old that was on hospice and he mm-hmm. and I talked about his terminal state and what that was like. Um, and then I had other families who kept it from them. And when you keep all of that from them, the kids know. The kids are not stupid. Right. They're very aware things are going on. And what it does is it puts such a barrier for that child to be able to process. And then the parents also, and then the siblings, like no one's talking about anything, but you're all scared and confused and don't know. So I personally feel like it's helpful to gather information, like as the adult, understand all that information, and then figure out what is most imperative for that age, whatever it may be. Anyone over 12, talk to them as an adult, to me, really. I feel like, I mean, you may have to break stuff down more simply, but withholding them, they're old enough to be able to be involved. The younger ones, I feel like it just kind of depends on situations and their coping skills, right. their previous traumas, like lots of factors. Um, but I think if you just think about what you know about that child, you probably can figure it out. Like if you just think through like, okay, they're able to um, recover well after a difficult time or they struggle with this part. Well, maybe they're not one that needs full preparation. Maybe they only need a day or two prep right, right before an event. Um, but it just depends on like that kid's I feel like coping and for kids who have zero coping, this is the time to try to get it. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so many young people that I work with, I'm like, they don't even know that that is a coping. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, that's something that you can do that could yeah. help you through a difficult time. Yeah. And they're just like, they don't think of it as that. You and as I mean? a parent, the more you model that, the better the kids will be. So that's a huge piece that people get frustrated cause they're like, well, I don't know why they're doing all these things and they won't cry in front of me and they won't talk about it. And I'm like, well, do you cry in front of them? Well, no. And so it's like, well, they don't know. They feel shameful because you're right. hiding, you know, and we, we got to be more open and outward about our feelings and all of it. That's what's crazy about all this shit is like we always we're always saying the same thing, just like in different, different ways. ways. Yeah, <laughs> like literally it's all the same things over and over and over again in different ways. And that's what's like mind blowing about like working with kids with with me and 
probably why I feel like they're marginalized is like we all know like what it is and what it is and people are telling you whether someone's yeah. dying or someone's your kids getting in trouble in preschool or your kid yeah. getting trouble in eighth yeah. grade like everyone's telling us the same thing but everyone's just like that can't be what it is but see to us it sounds simple right I was just yeah, yeah to I guess. Us, like, like yes. we make it sound simple but like marginalized children because marginalized adults who have yeah, marginalized yes. children yes and so you don't know what you don't know yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i think that and i think too that was my point about are they really marginalized it's, a cycle. it's are, all a cycle. it really yeah, is yeah, just yeah, a cycle yeah, yeah, yeah i think too there's a lot of um advice given to adults and the parents but not tangible tasks to do that advice so it's like you need to do this and be better but then that person if they don't have that awareness they're like oh i thought i was doing that okay you know so like that's a piece too i feel like how would you describe like because i'm thinking about it and so much of what i when i think about like coping skills and stuff like that and a lot of it is like self-reflection you know Mm -hmm. and is that tangible to you yeah i feel like you can talk about little coping skills can literally be talking to somebody else Mm -hmm. thinking through it journaling like it doesn't have to be this grandiose event to help you process and get through things like I tell when I present and things I'll tell people like you don't have to go to the spa and spend $500 you could just sit in your driveway for five minutes and reflect on your day and that's a coping skill Um, but for kids it looks different so like playing is a coping skill letting them play out angry in their activities that's them processing that's them trying to cope like teenagers diving into their friends that's a coping skill so I think it's figuring out what again works with that person's like personality and as a parent what works for us may not work for your children so you can't push your coping skills onto them necessarily you can model but I think it's more about modeling I'm doing this because I'm having a hard time not I'm doing this so that's what you also need to do but also like if your their coping skill makes you uncomfortable like that doesn't mean it makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like I, another thing yeah. too. Like, yeah, sure. I'm literally just thinking about like, I mean, I don't know it was only two, but like I'm thinking about like coping skills or like things that I've seen her do, you know, like she bites to cope right yeah. now, like, or she just like scratches or like all mm-hmm. these things and like, yeah, it's unfortunate. And then like, like David has a scratch on his nose yeah. right now or whatever, but it's like, what else is she going to do? Like she's yeah. actually like She's's doing little, exactly yeah. what she needs to do to like, deal with her feelings Mm -hmm. because she can't talk so like you know yeah it's yeah she'll get there yeah she's 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 working through yeah (laughs) yeah but i was like what you were saying i think i i would do that to my son too though like i would i would say oh this is what helped me at this age he should be doing the same thing and me and him are not the same person at all like we're and it's not wrong to like give the suggestions i just think it's always important to consider like they're they are their own person yeah, I think during that time, though, like, I don't think I was where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in his life, I was really just like, you should be exactly like me because I wanted to be exactly like my dad, mm-hmm. you know, and that's Here what I feel are. like he yeah. should have gone through. <laughs> and then he did it. And he was and like you said, he was just his own person. And it's just like, oh, well, I guess we did something right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's also a good way to, like, frame things, too. I, not only in this space, but most spaces is, like, you want to tell someone what you think they should be doing. But maybe even in that sense is, like, instead of saying, hey, why don't you try this? Because it would make me feel better. You know, but, like, what would make you feel better? So even just, like, reframing the question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. you might feel still say, like, you're saying the same thing. But, like, you're yeah. not there. It's coming yeah. out completely different. And it always helps, like, if they have someone outside of you. Absolutely. I, I learned that a lot. Like, my son would get his haircut from this one guy, and they would talk about all this stuff. And I'm just like, and I went and got my haircut from him. And I'm just like, why would he? 
the in, like so, you know, I don't even know the right word to use, but connected. So, yeah, really? so connected to this yeah. guy, and I'm just like, but he was a really cool guy. But in my head, I'm like, you should be more connected to me. Like you should yeah. take every, and it's it's just like a a selfish thing. But he connected with him, and he yeah. really enjoyed like talking with him, and that was part of the process of like going to get a haircut. He knew he was going to spend a long time talking to this guy. And, and I would get caught up talking to him too, but I'm just like, why not? Like, why aren't you? Yeah. And we do, we have our moments, but I'm saying it's like, I guess as a, as a parent, you always want your children to go to you. Yeah. And then when you see them, but I think it's always good for them to have those people outside of you that you, you know, you hope they give them great advice and, and they just take what they need and, and leave what they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so my next thing, you brought it up. You said, I was working with someone who was eight years old on hospice talking about that whole process. Yeah. I know that's okay. a bomb to be dropping just yes. in general. I, know. I mean, but not only for the child. Yeah. I got nervous yesterday calling a parent, telling her that she wasn't in our in our district line, that she couldn't come to our school and she needed to go to her other school. So how are you coping with dealing with talking? Because yeah, yeah. I don't even know if I could, like, it makes me feel weird thinking about having to talk to someone at that age about that. Yeah. How yeah. do you deal with that? So I think because so I uh, and I should say <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Not now because I know you're you're a vet now and you probably got your <laughs> you probably got your your whole process that you go yeah. through. Talk to me about the, early on the beginning and why like how and what why, got you yeah. there? Like yeah. So so I'll say so in high school my grandma was really sick and I they asked me to my parents were my mom my stepdad my step my dad and stepmom were like someone needs to live with her and I was like why don't I I'll just move in with her like and she just needed help with like day-to-day stuff so um she she was there and then she declined and she died and that was my first experience with grief and I literally remember I was in my room in my house at this point because I wasn't living with her and my dad got a phone call she was on hospice and she had died and I only knew that because I overheard him. And I was 17 at this time. And so I remember he put the phone down and I was in my room and I was like, I think I'm gonna go ask him if she died. And he did, and or she, he said, yes, she did. But he was in there for like a little while before he told me and I thought that was weird. And then from then on, every way that anyone talked about grief it was weird to me like no one wanted to talk about it no one wanted to acknowledge it really um I don't know I just started getting interested in it this is before I even knew I wanted to be a child life specialist I was working at the hardware store like yeah (laughs) selling hammers so anyways fast forward I think because of some of my own experiences I have been really innately like in tune with that piece of me so I feel like to work in a mental health field, you have to be so self-aware or you will burn out so quickly. Right. And I feel like I've always been a very self-aware person. I don't really know why that is about me, but I, I always have been kind of aware of where I'm feeling or why I'm feeling what I'm doing, what I'm feeling. Um, but so when I first started, I remember we had a phone for work at hospice and I would like look at it all throughout the night because there was like ongoing text messages. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, they're going to need me. They're going to need me. But over time, I learned that if I have created a good enough relationship with these families and tried to create some coping skills, they would get through those moments with or without me. And one of the coworkers I work with all the time, he would always tell me, people die every day without us. So they right. can do it without us. We can be helpful, but they can do it without us. And so that I would like replay in my mind sometimes. Wow. Um, but 
I always knew too, like I could follow up with them later. I think that's a piece like people don't realize that you can still be impactful if you follow up after. They think in the moment is the only time they can be supportive. Just like you were mentioning earlier, kind of in the height of all the situation, everyone's there. But then afterwards, people kind of dissipate. But you can still be supportive after. Um, So I had counsel when I first started hospice. I saw a private counselor. My mom was terminally ill at the same time, and I was doing hospice. So my private counselor, I saw her for like two years straight. Um, And I think she helped me establish some really good coping skills. And I know myself now, too, if I'm getting jaded to what families are saying, like if I'm feeling irritated by their grief, that's a red flag to me. I'm like, this is trauma for them. And I'm over here like, it's fine. Your mom's dying. Like, I'm not saying that. But that's what I'm yeah. thinking, you know? <sighs> yeah. So I think that piece for me, if I if I start to feel kind of jaded about it or insensitive, right. if I start to start to get irritable about things, those are kind of red flags for me. And then I try to figure out like where I can pull back. Um, and I have really, really strong boundaries. So like I, you know, support these families in these moments and there's some that I still talk to like that eight-year-old I'm still really good friends with his mom and we talk all the time but there's some families that I don't and I I think because of those good boundaries and like not answering my phone 24 hours a day anymore not responding urgently like I can reply to an email later you know those kinds of things I think help me continue um but some days I don't want to do it right (laughs) it's not always yeah. Great. I mean, it's hard, hard work, but I feel I feel very fulfilled being able to help ease whatever it is that the families are going through. And that's kind of where the core of why I keep doing it. Because I just feel like that empathy part of me or, some, you know, I would just get too attached and like trying to remove my, like you were saying, like mm-hmm. if I, I'm feeling something, some type of way about what they're going through, then I need to pull that. But I know me, like I'll be trying to like, Figure out wait, like you're not gonna save them. You know what I mean? If but why hosp- are you you shouldn't feel shameful though for having an emotion about a difficult situation? I know so I understand that, but I'm saying like for me I feel like I would I would burn out quickly. Mm, yeah. Because of that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would be so be worked up all the time. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, it's just so much it is hard. It's heavy. Yeah. And yeah. like I said, like you just watch all these people go through this. And then you really just, like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of people in the room right now. But, like, where are the main people that you should be? And, like, I'm just fascinated by it where I'm just, like, I just want to watch them and how they're coping and what they're doing in these moments. And, you know, who's still smiling? Who's, you know, mm-hmm. making light of it? Who's trying to take on all the tasks so that way they're not, you yeah. know, having to deal and process with it? Who's actually going through the process right now? Like, if we're talking about the stages of grief. Um and so, and then also trying to figure out where they're at. Like, it's so mind-blowing to me. But I've yeah. seen it so much lately that I'm just like... It's like all in your brain. Yeah. It's just <laughs> yeah. Like all the time. So. Yeah. No, and I've told Sam, like, I don't have, honestly, my two experiences that I would consider, like, grief. Like, where I feel like I was like, this is a weird feeling. Um, <laughs> it's like, probably most recently with my brother. Like, I he's not even dead. But, like, That's I, a haven't, good point. I haven't talked to That's him in two point. years. And yeah. he kind of just disappeared from my life. And, like... So see, and then like, so then it's like, ah, like, you know, and I was like, I don't know what, because it's harder. I, and and I'm not saying it's not hard if someone's dead, but like, um, for me personally, like, you know, you want to say like, you know, I'd most rather him like just be dead because like, like then like there would be a reason, you Mm -hmm. know, but like, because I know he's still out, maybe I don't even know, maybe he's not, but it's because he's still out there somewhere. I'm just like, 
like, wow, okay. Like, yeah. he could literally show up at my door one day, and it's just, like, yeah. that's wild to, like, think about. But, like, besides that is, like, um, my grandpa died probably, like, I want to say, like, seven or eight years ago. Um, but I was telling Sam that when he died, like, he had been sick for so long. Yeah. Like, literally so long. And I was lived with him the last year of his life. So, like, for me, when he died, I was just, like, oof, like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. good for him. Like, because yeah. I'm, like, he's, like, very tired, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so it wasn't a lot like it was very like minimal stress or like I mean it's sad and honestly like I probably didn't get really sad about it till I had Nova mm-hmm. um because like he was the best but like other than that like I don't feel like I have well Missy I'm saying that I'm crying um, <laughs> I was fucking hypocrite um but like besides those two things like you know what I mean like yeah. it just feels very minimal I do think that's a good point though I think a lot of people don't experience loss until they're older and you think you have coping skills and you have all these things but then you have a loss whether it's a death or a divorce or moving and then you're like thrown for a whirlwind and you have no idea how to cope with it at all I mean I have friends who've never had anybody in their family die before and I'm like wow my mom died when I was 27 like that wasn't I wasn't young but I was still like I hadn't been married yet hadn't had kids like and I you know you re-grieve and so I think that I don't know. I just think that's a factor in it and why people struggle. Yeah. 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 I, I went through that this week, you know, because my dad's birthday was last week and then mm-hmm. dropping my son off at school and I'm just like, well, milestones. Like, yeah. I wish my dad could be here to yeah. see all this. And, and, you know, I'm just like, to your point, like, you want them there. And I went through, I went crazy one, I forgot one week. I was like, I just need to hear his voice. Like, that's really where I circled back. Yeah. And we started looking and it's like, no one could find anything. Like, he was in videos, like, off in the background, but, like, we couldn't yeah, hear him. Crazy. And it just drove me up a wall. And I'm just like, why do you think people go through that? Like, kind of like that reflection part where you want them around, kind of like what you were saying mm-hmm. about your mom. What do you think that is? Like, is it just not necessarily wanting them to be there, but, like, is there a better way to say that? I mean... I think you're just... I think when those things are happening, you're trying to find a way to still feel connected, even though they're not physically here. Right. And so I feel like with those milestones and things, it makes it even heightened that that person's gone. Like, me having a baby, like, that was really hard without her. You know, like... And that's all she ever wanted to do is be a grandma. And And she she went through it. Yeah. You know, she could coach me through it. Yeah, yeah. And so... I think that's you attempting ways to find connection still. And like, I have voicemails of my mom. I still listen to them. We have videos, we have things. And, um, you know, I, I think that's healthy. Like you're trying to figure out now, like as, as, (laughs) as you continue to grieve, like, I feel like you're, you have to reassess and develop ways to continue to cope and grieve, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I saved all that stuff because I was like, but I knew she was dying, right? So, right, yeah. you know, sudden loss is different. So, but now because of that experience, I save voicemails from my grandma and my dad. And like, I have things because I know the impact that it's been on having those from my mom. Yeah, I, I, I went through, I was like, I wanted to sit, both my grandparents are getting up there. They still, yeah. I mean, they get around really well, but I'm like, I'm gonna just start making like a video yeah. you know i don't even know audiography of them yeah, and like just, just ask them uh-huh. ask them shit like yeah. random questions yeah, yeah. things they want people to know and i'm like i'm just gonna sit on it and then when the day comes because this is the other thing that i think you said earlier is you're like that's a part of me that i kind of connected to 
but I'm like, this is this should be a part of everyone because we're all going to go through this. All of it. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you guys were. Grieve. <laughs> yeah, like you guys were talking about grief, not in a sense of like only loss, like mm-hmm. like life, but like losing a relationship, like yeah. getting divorced or breaking yeah. up, or a brother who you're just not connected with anymore. Like I, I feel yeah. like we should be able to say this is all part of the process yeah. of life. Like mm-hmm. these things are going to happen. Yeah. And grief is like, that's why like, you know, and I've told you multiple times and Sam, like, I don't like, I'm not, I would not consider like, don't come to me for your grief. Like if a <laughs> client signed up and was like, my mom just, uh, I'd be like, I Kelly? really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, let me refer you out. Like, but it's only because really like, friend. <laughs> well, and it's for that same reason of like, what do you like? I mean, there's, I know there's more to it. Um, and I'm lying. I have had a client whose mother died and came to me. So we've done pretty okay but like um like what do you like when they do want to like just hear someone's voice again or like whatever like what do you like oh say and like yeah but for me too like with my brother like I went through a long period where like I couldn't listen like he got me into music so like there was like this tattoo is for him so like there was like a long period of time where I couldn't listen to any music he had introduced me to because Mm -hmm. I would just start crying yeah and so like now I can listen to it and I actually try to show it to Nova to get her into it so I have a different association I'm big with like moving memories and associations um and so like that has been really helpful because now it just reminds me of her like Mm -hmm. you know and I want to switch that memory over and that's replace him but like at this point I'm like I don't need to dwell in that like yeah. so but I still want to listen to that song because it's really it okay song, to you know? dwell yeah no yeah yeah well I mean I want to ask oh sorry <laughs> not I mean oh, yeah, for you yeah. you do what you need Is to do it? but I'm saying <laughs> for someone else I'm like outside of that I think okay there's a healthy on. balance of like being acknowledging the difficulty and trying to process and cope by dwelling and then there's a balance, there's a side that can be detrimental. Like if you are so down, you're depressed, you don't do things, you can't even listen to any music. Like there's, you know, it's, it's a pendulum. So like whatever swing your side, whatever side you swing on, like, but it's also okay to be there for a little bit, yeah. but then getting out of it, I feel like. Like I had, I had so many crying moments like horrible crying moments after my mom died they were all reasonable but I was able to get out of it you know Mm -hmm. and people who stay in that that's when I think you need like private counseling and you may need an assessment for maybe some medication to help you or other coping skills like just to get over those humps you know but I think that's where our society falters because we don't allow people to be sad and to dwell we're just like you guys gotta put your pants on and get on about your life even, over the shit like, I mean even a bereavement like yeah. most companies are like two days two days yeah like only the, if it's your mom or dad yeah and then only if, if it's your it's, mom or dad yeah, yeah. if it's somebody like, what else is, what happens in two days I, I just, you don't even get the funeral in yeah days. like what is the point of that yeah. yeah it was crazy I had a boss at my old job um, who was like literally I, I, I called her like when shit was going down with my dad and stuff and she was like talking me through it and she's like you just take as long as you need and she's like, don't worry about it. Don't, you know, just don't say anything. Yeah. Like, we were working from home anyway. World, yeah. She's like, if you can do anything, great. Like, if you do anything at all, just send me your work log. Basically saying that I, w- I was at work. And, like, having her at that moment, I think, was so vital for, oh, for me sure. to yeah. process everything. Because I didn't have someone, like, breathing down my back trying to tell me I needed to do something. Instead, I had this person who I was literally calling to get, like, a voice of reason because everyone in my family is like, let's just fucking go over there and fight him. Like, that's what my, you know, their 
you know, they result to all the time. Mm -hmm. But then I had this person who was like literally just walking me through, like, you know, being calm and knew how to just, I mean, she's like that person that can just deal with people. Like, I don't, it's just weird. And, and it sounds like you guys, you know, like y'all are just able to sit in that with people and walk them through like these really difficult times in their lives. And it's like, we need that like more than ever now, especially. Yeah, I think that there is, I mean, I think there's a piece too of it's not our job to determine what you need, right? right? So like my mom died and I went back to work in hospice seven days later wow. because I needed normalcy right? and that was normal for me. And I think, you know, I've met people that are like, I can't believe that she's back at work or whatever. And like, no one, I, if people say that about me, I don't know, but I'm like, well, that's, that's normal for them. Like they want to have right. something that they feel control over. And I think it's just, it goes back to that everyone processes things differently yeah. and it's not my job to tell you what you need to do but here's you know here's your parameters of like what you can do I guess but and even a timeline like yeah. I think people try to put stuff on yeah. the timeline and like even that like someone could lose someone or something happen and then like three years later it's they're like, out for like months mm -hmm. you know because they yeah. just realize wow that thing really did happen to yeah, me yeah. and like that was really hard yeah I think that's big like this the stages of grief like I think people think oh I'm through anger now I can go to denial oh I'm through that and like it is more fluid it is not and even I think that was yeah. one of the questions I yeah asked it was yeah. I wanted to know about that because yeah. I, I, my co-worker after you know the incident I told you guys about I was like and I'm so mad and she's just like well you know it's you know she tried to tell me this and I'm like is it like I I was in that thought process yeah. of like oh I've gone through all these stages already and it's I should be past yeah. this I mean I think that's like the layman's term or layman's understanding of grief is like you go through the stages the stages are valid the stages are there but it is fluid like you can have anger you can have denial you can have acceptance and I don't know if y'all know but Kugler-Ross came up with those stages by talking to dying people not the grievers mm. so it initially was developed to help kind of articulate what someone that's dying is going through and then over time they realize well that's also what the grievers can experience but it's but because the grievers are still alive, it's so much more fluid. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think the dying people get stuck sometimes, yeah. but the grievers are still here, and so it's it's way more fluid. Um, nothing about our emotions is linear, so right. we want it to be. Yeah, it's easier, <laughs> yeah. and we control it. There'd be a lot. Just, it's a just lot more not. That I know. Like I'm almost at acceptance. <laughs> yeah. almost there. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And it makes that makes sense for someone that's dying because, like, yeah, what are they gonna do but accept it? But, yeah, eventually and, you gotta get there, or yeah. you don't. But or you it, don't. Yeah. But it's still done. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's always interesting to learn things like that too. I think there's another one like that where. This is the first one that popped into my head. The um, twelve-hour shifts for like doctors mm. were created by um, a surgeon, and when he was bringing like his, these are all probably terrible hospital terms, but when he was bringing like his, what are they called, residents, uh -huh. you know, to do yeah. their residency, he would have them work like these crazy long shifts, and he, but he was like the best. He was like the best surgeon, like whatever. So this is how these twelve-hour shifts for doctors got mm. created for like four days in a row. Turns out this dude was on cocaine the whole time. Oh my so, god! Like, he literally like was a drug addict and on cocaine, but 
that he was the best. He was so efficient. he trained all <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. Oh and like he expected these people to like do this. But like now when we look now at like when doctors have been awake Burn longer, out. surgeons have been awake longer than a certain amount of time, like their efficiency goes down. Yeah. So like usually like it's good to ask your surgeon, like, how long have you been awake? Like how what shift yeah. day are you on? Like because like that's when they fuck up. They say so 36 like, hours. You say you're probably doing cocaine. Yeah. Surgery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Call me like when you have two days off. Yeah. Um, Even us. I mean, you can't, you yeah. couldn't see, you know, like it'll say 40 hour work week. Oh, I can see 40 clients an hour each. Like there's, that, no that would be impossible. No yeah. 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 You yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. No, no. You'd be like, yeah, no, wow. literally. But yeah, I, I think those are interesting because there is a, like, but nobody goes back to do like the research. Mm-hmm. They're just like, nope, that's what everybody's always done. And yeah, it and worked the, in. the book, the On Death and Dying book, it, it's interviews with dying people. So that's how I, I had to read it in school. And that's how I found that out just by reading the actual book. But most societies understanding of the stages of grief are these five stages, you move forward and then you're done. And that's just not, that's not how it works. And with children, they re-grieve as they grow okay. because they understand more. So what I tell a five-year-old about their dad dying in three years, they understand more. So they want it, they're asking more questions and they will re-grieve. And that's a concept. There's a theorist out there. It's, it's a researched concept, but um, it's one too. I always make sure to tell parents because you can, and I think even with traumas, like you had a trauma at this age, you're going to re-feel that when you understand more about, oh, I was really manipulated or, oh, this, you know, cause you're mm-hmm. older. Um, and that's a piece too, I think people it catches them off guard like you said three years later now they're feeling it again what yeah if it's a kid it's probably because they're older and they can get it they can understand more i had that exact same experience with um like my trauma like i didn't even realize like i was sexually abused till i was like till like five years ago Mm -hmm. and i was like oh that probably shouldn't have happened you know and like sitting in a therapist's office like Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that's the reason I was doing all those terrible things for so long. Yeah. Like, thanks. And it really did like open that window. Yeah. But then you're just like, wow. And even saying that, right? Like, that's just like, okay. But like, it's the same. Like at the time, like I was just like, oh, this is just like normal. Mm-hmm. This is just what mm-hmm. happens. But yeah. I literally like did not realize that was happening until I started doing all of like my counselor stuff. I mean, there's the whole thing of like people who work in mental health have a lot of mental health needs. Like it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all in here trying to figure out ourselves and then we want to mm-hmm. help others. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. okay. That happens a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, most of us have established healthy coping skills, so that's good. But I try to. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I think the, the biggest thing for me too is like, I'll, I'll do something in like when I'm working with someone and then I'll go and talk to my coworker about it. I mean, her would just be like the briefing and both of us will have a different perspective yeah. and we're like, and we're both trying to like process through it. And it's like, well, why did I feel this way? And then you really start digging into like who you are and why, I don't know, maybe you disclosed a little bit more with this student than you did a different student yeah. or whatever. Uh-huh. And it could be even the same situation, but I think it always comes back to that. Like, we're trying to process everything that we because that's just how we do things now like we just know how to try to figure things out about ourselves and how to make us feel better it's almost annoying sometimes because like i've realized like i'm just a lot nicer like i'm not as funny as i used to be because like i was really sarcastic and just like calling people out and talking shit but uh, yeah but i'm more like (laughs) empathetic or uh-huh. like watch what I say or like we'll try to like be kind to people I'm like oh this is boring like, <laughs> I liked being like a smart ass and like making people laugh and calling people out but like it's just like I'm just too aware so what's good yeah. for me is like I'm I'm good about doing that like when I'm around guys like mm-hmm. around guys who don't care about this I can still kind of revert back to that younger self where I kind of get lost in the 
oh, these are all the older guys, you know, I can hang out with them and be funny and be the younger one. Um, but then even after I leave them, I'm like, yeah, maybe I should have said that. Yeah. yeah. Like, how is so-and-so going to feel about what I just said? And then I feel like an ass the rest of the day because I was that person. And I'm just like, but I get, I, I get it. But yeah. it's just also like, I don't know, you have to try to be who you are because that's going to help you. I mean, it's going to help you cope. Yeah. I mean, the awareness of other people's emotions is exhausting. Yeah. Like, that yes. is a piece of me that, like, if I have a really tough day with multiple, like, death disclosures or different things happening, I will come home and I'm just like, I can't talk anymore. And I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old that are like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And so I have to really, like, check myself to be focused on them. And, like, I will say working in the hospital, it's been easier because when I leave the hospital, I have no access to anything regarding mm-hmm. patients. Where with hospice, we were remote, essentially and then went to people's houses so like I had constant um feedback I guess from that Mm -hmm. and so what I would do is I would literally put my work phone on do not disturb at 5 p.m and I would turn it over plugged in so I wouldn't even see it otherwise I'd be checking the messages and, and I would you know my team would know if it was a certain kind of emergency they could call me on my personal phone but I kind of set that boundary up with my team too mm-hmm. about like don't call me at 8 p.m after a visit that you can tell me about in the morning um and I think that also helps me have good boundaries and cope and and I'm I'm vocal about that with people I was gonna ask uh, outside of boundaries mm-hmm. like what are your other like self-care coping yeah. routine um, I like taking baths. I take a lot of baths. Okay. I watch a lot of Netflix. Okay. <laughs> um, I also really love a good true crime podcast. Uh, um, so. Have you seen the, the new I Shot My Dad or whatever uh-uh. on Netflix? So, oh, okay, I so, saw a preview so, for that. I can't. <laughs> this, y'all are going to think I'm crazy. I can't watch it. Oh. I have a hard time watching <laughs> like like uh, Dateline and stuff. No, like seeing their real faces and like the real interviews makes my anxiety way too high, but I can listen to them all day long. Mm, okay. And I think it's because I'm not always just listening. I'm doing other things, mm, so okay. I can kind of dissociate a little bit. Well, and you probably kind of like see it in person all yeah. the time. So yeah, like, true. I don't need to see yeah. it in person. Like, There's a joke with like. like my friends and my family about like you only do intense things. Like you talk about death all day long. You listen to true crime podcasts at night. You're supporting your friends. You're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that is about me, but... Here I am. So I take a lot of baths and, um, you know, play with my kids. I like to read, like, fiction novels, too, you know, that aren't aren't real. Um, and cooking. I like to cook. I'm not great at it, but I like to cook. So, <laughs> yeah. I respect that. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Because I, I was going to say, like, the way that you they were describing you, it's, like, operating, like, on the fight-or-flight response, like, all the time. Yeah, sometimes like, it that feels extreme, that way, yeah. right? My body will tell me, too, when I need to check in. Like, I will get sick. I will get, like, a respiratory infection, or I will get really fatigued. Um, I notice if I start to eat more unhealthy, like, that is a piece of me that I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm sad, or I'm feeling down, and so I don't really care about my body. And CrossFit, I do CrossFit. Yeah. So that's another piece, too. That's newer in tell the past. Tell us about your CrossFit. No, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's, like, checking out. You're like, hey, I'm new by. No, yeah. so. Um, <laughs> it's because we talked to Adonis about CrossFit a lot. It was, like, 15 minutes, but they yeah, made yeah. it seem like we talked the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. so funny. That just yeah. reminded me, too, like, because this week, um, and I was actually planning on sharing this anyways. I haven't been like hungry at all. And like, I love food. And it was actually bumming me out because like, I love to eat. Like, yeah. that's like my favorite thing yeah. to do. Like, eat for no reason. I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. And like, I literally tech, like, I Googled it. You're I was stressed. like, why would you not be hungry? And it literally was like, stress, anxiety. <laughs> like, well, and I'm like, 
well, all right. But like in my head, I don't feel like stressed. Yeah, but yeah, my yeah. body is like, you're stressed. So then that's when I was like, and that's what I was telling y'all earlier. Yeah. I texted Dave and he was like, yeah, think about this, this, this. And I'm like, well, now that you say that, yeah. I guess I am here. stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a lot of shit like that. I didn't <laughs> even realize like uh, we're going through. So yeah. an outsider looking in is always helpful because I think as empaths and people who help other people, it feels um, like dishonest to not help someone or do what you need to do, but like also setting that boundary is really helpful. But sometimes you get to that point where you're like, oh my gosh, I have two private clients, I have this job, I have that job, and I'm trying to like take care of my kids. It's a lot. Yeah. You really just described to me. I know. Yeah. I know. We're living <laughs> really, the same life. Yeah. We're just parallel on this road. Yeah. But like, I eat when I'm stressed. I need to get in the middle of. I used to. <laughs> this is this is another thing. When I was used to, I, when I know when I used to be stressed, I would drink. Yeah, like, yeah. To excess. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't have that option anymore to yeah. drink to excess. Yeah. So now, I guess, I don't eat. Yeah. So, like, that's just, yeah, trade off for the <laughs> calories, I guess. But, like, well, like yeah, I would also like. Also not healthy. But, but yeah. it, I mean, for you, I mean, you work out a lot, too, though, right? Yes. Yeah. But, like, have you just basically, like, you do your workout and then that's it? Or, because I'm saying, like, a lot of people will. Well, like I'm stressed. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go for a run. Oh, I'm gonna go I don't lift. have time to excessively yeah. work out. Um, I probably would yeah. if I did, but I don't have time to do that right. excessively. Yeah. Like literally, ideally, like bad habit, Kristen would just like to like literally like just go get fucked up at a bar by myself <laughs> and like take an Uber home and like literally all the bad mm -hmm. things. Like, yeah. is it bad though? I mean, if you if you do it I one time, so. like out of the month. Is it really that bad? I think if you have a kid, it's bad. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I do. I will set that. Yeah. <laughs> really. Because there's I'm just... Uh, there's just... I can, I feel like you could still go out like with your friends or whatever and drink and come home and not have to be like shit faced. Like, uh, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Like, I that's like what I'm saying. Alcohol is not a healthy coping skill. Like right, like going out and being socializing. Yeah, I'm not saying like, it is. No, I know. And, and, I, and I and I and I preach this all the time when I talk to kids about drugs and alcohol because that's kind of my role on my campus. Yeah, yeah. And I always say, you know, you, you're going to keep using it in those worst situations, and then you're going to find out that you have way more worse situations than you have good situations. Or people even drink when they're in their good situations, right? Yeah. So then we're just drinking all the time now. Yeah. And then addiction starts to set in mm -hmm. because there are chemical effects to these things. So it starts off as a coping mechanism right. and then you get attached and now you don't have any control over it. So I get that part yeah, of it, yeah. right? I do understand that. But I'm like, if I do this once or twice a year, like, I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like, oh my god, Kristen's no, coming yeah. unglued at the scene. No, 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 no. I'd be no, like, no, 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 no. that's just her. It's more just like. It, it's a lot of like self-reflection when that happens so right. I think I mentioned it but we never even talked about it so like in I think it was April, it was when I invited you to the arts goggle like in the spring oh yeah 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 so we went and that was like my first time out in like two years yeah, yeah. I mean since like Nova <laughs> and like everything yeah. right like out like with my friends and like it was like a whole thing like I got extremely intoxicated like I like it was embarrassing for David like we had a whole thing about it I came home and like was not in a state to watch my daughter but I tried to watch her and I don't remember so it's like a lot of like things were like self-reflection and I have to be like why did I go do that yeah. right. like why did I go do that it was yeah. unnecessary yeah like you know and it wasn't worth it mm -hmm. um, so like right. why did I go do that so like for me the self-reflection was like I did it because like yeah someone was watching my daughter I knew she was safe like I hadn't been out in so long and like there's so many things going on I just want to forget mm -hmm. so like that was like but like again not healthy like yeah, yeah. that should I should have been able to, to go and like enjoy myself and come home and, so I'm gonna and, come like, from a strength perspective and say that it is healthy 
because you had someone to watch your daughter. You had all those things set up. There's people that are out there that are doing that shit who don't have any of the things yeah. that you oh, described yeah, yeah, before yeah, yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. So like for me, it's like you're really coming down on yourself and trying to shame yourself. But for me, I'm like, if you needed that in that moment, and you, and then the next day is that's what a healthy person's going to do. Is they're going to say, man, that really wasn't worth it, and I don't need to do this that's again what I was for a say, long like, time. The ramifications of a night like that for me is not worth doing because I get yeah. horrible migraines, and my children like I will be sick for days, and so that's where I'm like, it's not healthy for me, but going out and having a good time and like, there's a fine line between getting shit faced and being tipsy, but I don't always know where that line is. Same. So, same. Um, yeah. Same. So, and I, and then in our yeah. alcohol episode, we'll talk about that because that's yeah. the same for me. Like I don't have, like I'm like boundaries. Very See, blurry. And I'm, I'm pretty, I've done this my whole life. So my, my dad passed from basically alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So I've always done this with myself. Like where I'm at right now, I know one more, and we're we're crossing that line, or I pack it in now and I just chill the rest of the night, or I go home. Teach right? me your ways. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. this is this yeah. has I'm always been it's like, like watching yeah. everybody around me, like in yeah. my in my life and in, in my most of my family, honestly. Um, and that's what it is for me. And that's why I'm just like I know there's a part of it that is hard to control because I once that line's crossed for me, it is yeah. the same way. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. know. But I, I'm pretty mindful when I go out. And also, you know, my, my partner's pretty small. So if she had to carry my ass somewhere, like, it's, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty big. So, um, but, but that's, yeah, like, I, good self-awareness for you. For me. Like, but that's, that's But that's what I'm saying. Like, in that moment, if I need it, I'm going to take it. You know what I mean? Like, if I need to cross you the line. Deserve to have, you deserve to have those moments when you need them. But I think, like what you said earlier, not doing that all the time. All the time, yeah. yeah. And that's, it's like, we're talking about in the spring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know, like if you don't do that again until next spring, I'm like, hey, once a year, <laughs> once a year, Kristen's going to come out. You know no, what I mean? Like, <laughs> but that's, and you know, and then again, that's more self-reflection and whatever. And I know we're talking about self-care, but like, but that's even more like, I would never want everybody to do that. Right. So but like that's like something on... of like I don't want to be that example. I don't yeah. want her to yeah, be like yeah. What? Once a year, my mom guess goes what? and gets shitty. Like she's gonna do it anyway. Yeah, but not, but so that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. But I think I think if you are trying to reflect on that, maybe reflecting on what got you to want to be in that point. Yeah. So then you can figure out what you needed to peel back. You know, because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that that's that's for me. Like I have very similar experiences. Yeah. But and again. I mean, you're never going to have that perfect cocktail of everything that you mm-hmm. described yeah. before then, right? Like, the next, I mean, I don't know, if monkeypox gets any worse, maybe we will have another <laughs> pandemic. But when are we ever going to be coming out of a pandemic where you haven't gone anywhere in two years? That's true. And you yeah. just had a baby. Lots of factors. All of the things that built up to that moment. Yeah. And maybe the next time you go out, you are able to f- see that stopping point. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I and I tell you, I'm pretty sure I told you this, but like the person I was before I had my son, and maybe even a year or two after. But then I started to have those realizations too, and that was another thing that really helped me say, "Do I really want him to see this person?" Mm-hmm. So then it was just, okay, I do it on the weekends that he's not with me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then, um, but yeah, I I would never hold that against like someone and be like, "Oh, you shouldn't have done this." But I'm like. If you're healthy and, and you're still making the like the best choices possible and it's like one day, that's one thing. Yeah. But if it's constant, you know, yeah, yeah. then it's a different yeah. conversation. For yeah. sure. So 
That's a whole other podcast too. Yeah, yeah a whole other episode. Like, Kelly's gonna be coming back for the yes the alcohol podcast. <laughs> We're saving that one. We both have stories, obviously, yeah. about alcohol. I mean, I do. I have mine too. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. it's not perfect, and it's one of those things where, but there are people, and I I always tell students this too. It's like that's kind of a it's like a national pastime type thing yeah, yeah. with us it's here very in this country. Acceptable, yeah. Yeah, socially acceptable. Hey, I had a long week. I'm going to go sit at the bar on Friday afternoon and I'm going to, you know, get a little tipsy before I go home, help me kind of decompress from the week. I mean, that's most people still when you go to a bar on a Friday night. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So I I think it's a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. It Later is. on. Yeah. Later on. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that we should know about grief before you go? Oh, gosh. Any parting words? Things. Sum there's it all so, up. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to talk briefly about, you asked the question about the funeral, like recording funerals. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. man. That's I'm so glad you brought ending. that up. Yeah. I didn't have my, I didn't, I was going to print my note, the notes out that I yeah. had sent you, but what is that about? Because again, and, and then in the note, I think I specified, if it's a family, again, do whatever you need yeah. to do to cope right now. But when it's like third and fourth cousin removed, why are we recording this? Yeah. I, I think... I don't know if I have a clear, really, answer, but I feel like I agree with you. If it's the family members of the, like, immediate family members experiencing the loss, I get that because Mm -hmm. I think it's a coping skill. It's it's a way to help honor that person because now our whole life is on our phone. So, like, to be able to look back at that could bring you comfort at a time, you know? I don't really understand why people feel the need to do that that aren't as close. Right. But I always just tell myself, like, that's not what I want, but if that's what they need, that's okay. And if that family is not frustrated by it, then that's okay. Like, in the hospital, people will be, like, recording when they're doing a withdrawal from life support. And in my head, I'm like, gosh, why would you want to see that again? But for some people, I I think there's a piece of it that allows you to reflect back on the concrete aspect of the death that it's really happened. So I could see it being beneficial for like your brain really absorbing it because yeah. we've moved so far away from formal funerals and formal grieving that I think we don't allow ourselves the time and space. Like, you know, you used to wear black for however long and like, that's how people knew you were grieving in society. Like now you can't even cry without people thinking you're crazy. So I just feel like, I can see how that could benefit people long term, but I personally wouldn't want that. Yeah. Like there's lots of keepsake items I make for families, like hand molds and things like that, like the 3D ones. Those are not my jam. I don't love them, but I will do them for other people. When my mom was sick, I wanted her thumbprint. I have a necklace with her thumbprint on it. That's all I needed from her. But like I meet people in the hospital and they want handprints and molds and they want all these things. And they're just not for me, but right. that's something that brings them so much comfort. So I think I just, in those situations, I'm like, what in the world? I try to remind myself, like, I don't know, but as long as it's not disrespectful. Right. But I, again, that's another, like, that's. I'm watching that's it and I'm just like, too. I, my thought process is the same. Like, why would you want to go? Like, mm-hmm. are you ever going to go back and watch this? Or is it just a thing to do? Because that's what we do with everything now. Like, right. we I just pull our phone out. I think it is. I think. But I think there's such a benefit of people who are like streaming funerals for people who can't be there. That, like that's I, yes. cool. I think that's great. I that same eight year old boy, they had a photographer at the funeral. Wow. And they took pictures of like the balloon release and all the things and that mom didn't look at them for a while, but it brings her so much 
much comfort now because there was people there she didn't remember. There was things they did she didn't remember. So I think because our brains are trying to help us cope, they block it blocks stuff out. Mm -hmm. Where sometimes those things can also help us, you know. Right. That makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. Because again, it's not my jam. No. Yeah. I. That's the way I feel. Yeah. You explaining it that way makes me feel a lot better about what I've seen lately. Yeah. And then the last thing I will say, and and I'll bring this up because. People just get like so greedy Mm -hmm. and like you see families that they seem really together and then all of a sudden someone passes and and, like let's just say it's head of the household, dad, grandfather, grandma, you know, someone who owned everything or something and then when that stuff starts getting dispersed, people just like... I don't know what that is. I don't know why. Grief brings out the worst. Well, I think it's just unresolved feelings. It's literally just unresolved feelings and people like grab onto something to process their feelings it's no different than like what we've talked about like i don't know someone who like has been telling their spouse for 20 years like that they want the dishes a certain way and that person just doesn't care to listen to them so they go cheat on them and it's like it's about communication it's about this unresolved maybe not one particular shirt but i'm sure there's more but like that's why I cheated on you. It's right. not because, like, I don't love yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, like, it's like they fought, like, you can't say it. You don't know how to communicate it. So you find other ways of, like, to make this person feel mm-hmm. what you've been feel. trying mm-hmm. to get them to feel or yeah. see or hear yeah. or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes I think that when you do talk about head of households, they're really the only people keeping family together. Yeah, so, like, sure. maybe those people have really actually hated each other for a very long time, <laughs> but this person's gone now. So, like, yeah. why do yeah. I, yeah, why yeah. do we, I need to talk to you anymore. I'm not talking to you because of yeah. mom or dad or not yeah, whatever. That, like, in our, in our family, that's kind of what it was. It was like, look, we played nice because of the person that we were trying to make yeah. happy. And now that that person's not here, it's kind of a free-for-all. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just lots of unresolved Like like you said, like so much of this process brings out the worst in people. Yeah. And it's like, really, you just kind of need to be under, like the family needs to be understanding to each other. Yeah. Because it's just so much like, and then the immediate family is the one who's like really carrying a lot of the burden because if things weren't set up, then they're the ones paying for yeah. that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much that the goes into it. The ripple effect of that loss is, like, so never-ending. Yeah, yeah, it just keeps going. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just about losing the person. It's, like, finances. It's mm-hmm. greed. It's all of these things that kind of come with it. And then, also, you're trying to process losing this person that was a vital part of your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and even more so, like maybe unresolved issues with that person yeah. right you exactly. know what i mean yeah. that you don't know where to put now ever yeah. you're gonna sure. tell them in five years what you thought of them or how they made you feel but yeah. you can't tell them you're now. gonna wait till this happened to do it don't yeah. wait just do it yeah, yeah. And that's always another thing too you always i hear a lot of the families say now is you know why did why do we wait until these types of moments before mm-hmm. either we try to hash things out or people get together like yeah. why do you wait until those moments and it's like I think people just need to give each other grace and like, yeah. I don't know, just tell that person already. Like if you take anything from the day, like go tell that person that thing you're waiting five years yeah. to go tell them. I know. That's one thing I think about too. I'm literally like, obviously I, I'm, I might think my parents are fine, but I do think about like, what if something happened to my parents? Mm-hmm. Like would I even tell my brother? Would I try to tell my brother? Right. Like right now I'm still kind of like angry. So I'm like, no, I don't think I would. Ask your mom and dad you what they I mean? want you to do. 
they'd want me to sell them. But well, that's it. It's weird, right? Because a lot. I didn't of people... need to hear that, Kelly. <laughs> it doesn't have to be you. David could do it. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, it doesn't. But what I'm saying is, like, you would rather you would, have a plan. You probably don't want to send him either. Then to not have a plan. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. people hate that conversation. Oh yeah. But absolutely. it's a very real conversation. My that needs mom to be had. had everything. She had a letter to us how she wanted to be honored, like all the things. And it was such a blessing to us because. We all loved her, and we all had our own opinion of what needed to happen. But and I think we would have ended up similar to what she wanted. But it was so like relieving to just know that okay, that's what she wanted, and we're gonna do that. And mm-hmm. that was really a gift to us. But she also had the time, so she knew she was dying. People don't always know they're dying. People yeah. die suddenly. So I think it's talking with your family about like, like I've made it very clear to my family I don't want to be on life support if my neurological state is not good. If I can't have a quality of life neurologically, don't keep me on life support. So if that ever happens, you play this podcast to my family and make sure <laughs> yeah. they don't keep me on life it. support, okay? Got Random it. person so that, comes yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> Chris and says. So, yeah. But, um, you know, those types of things, like, no one wants to talk about that. No one wants no. to think those things are going to happen. But we all have a 100% chance of dying. They're it's going to happen in our life. Yeah. So, like, we need to talk about it. We like, do. Everyone's I mean, going to die. True. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, I, I remember after, like, we're buying up, like, the spots next to my dad. And I just, I told my son, it was like, if anything ever happens to me and of course he just like don't why would you say that and i'm just like because at some point something will happen uh right and i'm just like just make sure like the spot that i picked out i stay there like no Mm -hmm. one's take me anywhere else like that's where i want to be like right now if things change later on i'll have it in writing trust me i'll I'll figure it out ongoing conversation yeah and it constantly it's going to change but i'm like right now that's what i want and like i told him told my partner and that's pretty much where we're at yeah so yeah Yeah. i don't want to be in the ground cremate me (laughs) cremate me david wants to be turned into a tree you know have you heard of that yeah can like my sister get into uh, a tree in the mm -hmm. soil and my sister took my stepdad's ashes to these urns in the middle of the ocean and they are to help um the ocean ecosystem and so it, it was really cool, and he loved to scuba dive. So it was like a very thoughtful thing that she chose to do with his ashes. And That's so really he's cool. yeah. So she got to dive down and like put him in there, and it like helps the coral life and everything. Sweet. There's a lot of cool things you can do now. So yeah. yeah. So I guess research. That's my takeaways. Research what you want done when you die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think just being more empathetic and just recognizing that grief is an ongoing process. process. And as a person supporting a griever, the one thing I can tell you not to do is to never say, well, at least your mom's still alive. Right. Anything oh, yeah. after at least, just don't say it. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> at least you have other children. At least you guys. That's actually people. a life lesson. Yeah. Yeah, just take that out of your vocabulary. Yeah, that's, don't that is ever something tell I, with yeah, anything. I took it out of my vocabulary because it's just, it's yeah. never helpful so it's just, yeah. <laughs> if you hear that just know somebody's setting you up for yeah. like future failures if you need They're help with your help, children it's not helpful yeah comment and they'll get in touch with me yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure well thanks so much that was yeah. fun that this was so a yeah. uh i felt like it was a good way to talk about all that stuff without like it's not as scary it doesn't have yeah. to be as scary as yeah. people make it out to be mm-hmm. for sure all right Thanks for having Thanks for coming. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.